Welcome to The Big Interview with Dan Rather, the podcast that delves deep into the heart of music through the words of the artists themselves. This is your backstage pass to intimate conversations with legends and icons from across the music world, as guided by none other than the legendary Dan Rather. Each episode will bring you exclusive in-depth interviews from rock and roll to country, from pop to alternative. We cover it all right here on The Big Interview with Dan Rather. So sit back, relax, and prepare to immerse yourself in the stories, the struggles, the triumphs, and the tunes that have shaped our musical landscape. Here's your host, Dan Rather. On this edition of The Big Interview, the mighty Oak Ridge Boy. Hey, good morning. Great to see you, sir. Hey, We're here. Thanks for doing this this morning. Good morning, Honored, Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Good morning, Richard. How are you? Just fine. Well, come in and welcome to Chaos. Elvira. Elvira. The Oak Ridge Boys have been belting out their famous four-part harmonies for over half a century. Their unforgettable hit, Elvira, elevated the boys from being a successful gospel and country act to a household name. The Oak Ridge Boys have sold more than 41 million records and won numerous accolades, including five Grammys. The group has a rich history with the original lineup dating back to the 1940s. At that time, they were strictly a gospel act. After changes to the band's name and lineup over the course of a few decades, the Oak Ridge Boys had finally struck the right chord by 1973 with Joe Bonzo, Dwayne Allen, William Lee Golden, and Richard Sherman. He's gonna smile on me. He's gonna smile on me. Not long after that, the band began to transition away from gospel with their first country hit, 1977's Y'all Come Back Saloon. Over the next decade, the Oaks continued to lean away from gospel as 17 of their country hits went straight to the top of the charts. The boys soon became a staple of Americana, even making appearances on the television program The Dukes of Hazard" in the late 70s and early 80s. You know, that sounds like the Oak Ridge Boys. That must be the jukebox. You say, never have a lonely when it felt so good. Never have a new when I knew I could. And while the Oak Ridge Boys did spread their wings, they never completely left their gospel roots behind. Silent night. For the past two and a half decades, the boys put on a holiday show blending their hits with traditional Christmas songs. All is bright. And the Oaks' ability to blend gospel, country, and even rock and roll has made them one of a kind. 
They've been inducted into both the Gospel Music Hall of Fame and the Grand Ole Opry. Keeping that momentum going is something the Oak Ridge boys are focused on. Joe, Dwayne, William Lee, and Richard are still touring. The boys are also back with a new album, 17th Avenue Revival. Shining down on us, glorious and bright, I'm gonna miss you every day. And in between tour stops in Los Angeles, the Oak Ridge boys invited me onto their bus to hear a bit of one of their new songs. There's a peace in my heart, finally moving on, a calm in my conscience that sings my song. No longer will you struggle, no longer will you fight. There's a brand new star up in heaven tonight. Let the love shine down. Well, first of all, thank you very much for doing this. Well, let's talk music for a minute. You've got a new album of the songs on this album. Which one do you think is most likely to really catch on with your fans? The first song that they released was a song called Brand New Star. And this song is uh, it's a song that touches a lot of people because it's, uh, it was two young guys that wrote it about the loss of a loved one, you know, one of his father, I believe. And uh, it's been touching a lot of people simply because of the uh, content and the feel of the song. As Joe told the young writer in the studio when we were learning it, said, man, that's the happiest song about somebody dying that I've ever heard. And the guy looked at Joe and said, well, that's the point. And, uh, but it's a song about losing a loved one. And uh, we've been singing it, and it's, it's had a magical thing on stage with us. If I could add Brand New Star, a unique thing about it is the first song we recorded was Brand New Star, and we did it in a way where Richard was in a booth, the three of us were behind each mic, we sang it together, mm -hmm. and we all loved the song, and we sang it, and recorded it, and we had full instrumentation on the track already that Dave had put together, and it came out really good. Well, as the sessions progressed, and as we started recording other songs, Dave came in the studio one day, and he put up one big RCA 44 microphone, <laughs> and he said, we're going to redo Brand New Star. And we had thought we'd done it really good. <laughs> and he said, no, man, I want the four of you guys around one microphone, and I'm just going to play the guitar. We maybe add some hand claps and a little drummer bass later, yeah. maybe, maybe not. But get around one mic. You guys are the only guys in the business that could get around one mic and make it happen. And uh, so we gathered around one mic and, yeah. and, and recorded it that way. And doggone it, it came out really, really good. And like Golden said, it's really, it's moving people, man. Well, let's talk about the history of the Oak Ridge Boys, which could take up the rest of the afternoon because it's a long history. I think many people don't know that it started back in the 1940s. So, yes, Joe, you lead off and take us down the road of the Oak Ridge Boys. I honestly think, sir, that um, we probably bring more history to the stage than any other act there is. Because as you alluded to, the Oak Ridge Boys began in the 40s. There was a group, a uh, bluegrass gospel group out of Knoxville called the Georgia Clodhoppers. Now go back to World War II when we were working on the atomic bomb secretly at the secret installation in Oak Ridge. 
thousands of people sequestered there. Soldiers, scientists, their families, they weren't allowed out. And they would bring the clodhoppers in on a Saturday night to entertain. Mm -hmm. They then became known as the Oak Ridge Quartet. Well, because they were playing in Oak Ridge. Yes. And, you know, again, a lot of people don't know this history. That we, we, the United States, was in a race to develop the atomic bomb before the Germans could do so. Oak Ridge was the center of yes, that, sir. and it was a closed environment. I love this image. Of, so we bring in the clodhoppers, and they be kind of known as the Oak Ridge Quartet. Yeah, thank God that they changed their name back then. But we'd be the Cloudhopper Boys today. But, but they sang uh, on Saturday nights. In fact, about a year or so ago, we went back there into the secret installation, took a tour, personalized tour. Uh, they named the street after us. And um, uh, we saw the exact spot where the stage was, where the original Oak Ridge Quartet played. A great a moment for us historically, and I know you love your history. Yeah. And, uh, but when the war ended, the Oak Ridge Quartet moved to Nashville, became part of the, uh, part of the Opry program in that on, on Friday nights at the Ryman, they would put on what they called the all-night gospel singing convention the <laughs> night before the Grand Ole Opry. Right. So that was a Nashville connection even way back then. They changed a bunch of members through the 50s, changed the name eventually to the Oak Ridge Boys, and William Lee Golden joined the group in 65, Dwayne Allen in 66, Richard in 72, and I... I joined in 1973. I'm the new guy. Got it. Well, you know, each of you, correct me if I'm wrong, you were fans of the Oak Ridge Boys before you joined the Oak Ridge Boys. And it isn't often that a fan has a chance to join and become part of his, his or her favorite groups. But did you ever have any reservations about joining the group, Richard? You know, I don't think so. You know, uh, you're right. I was a fan of the Oak Ridge Boys before I joined it. I was singing with Elvis, supposedly on the top of the world. One day, I got a phone call from William Lee Golden. He told me that the bass singer for the Oak Ridge Boys was leaving. He wanted to know if I would be interested in the job. So I told him, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. But I knew right there and then I was going to take the job. Even though you were leaving Elvis. <laughs> yeah, I had to make a big decision in my life. It was probably the major decision I've ever made in my life. I was singing with Elvis, but I believed in the Oak Ridge Boys. I believed that the Oak Ridge Boys had a great deal of potential, and I wanted to be a part of it. So I made that decision. A few years after I joined the Oak Ridge Boys, we were playing in Las Vegas, and we were playing at a place called The Landmark, which is no longer there. They tore it down, but right across the street, Elvis was playing at the, uh, the Las Vegas Hilton. And the other guys in the group had never met Elvis before, and they wanted to meet Elvis. So we, I called over, and we arranged to go over there, and we all were able to meet Elvis and hang out with Elvis. And that, on that particular day, Elvis kind of pulled me aside, and he says, is there anything I could do to get you to come back? And I said, Elvis, that is probably the greatest compliment anyone has ever, ever given me personally but I'm very happy being with the Oak Ridge Boys. I really believe I'm in the right place, so I'm going to stay here. So to, I, I went around uh, about way to answer your question. No, I've never had a, a regret that I made that decision. Well, question. To hold yourself together for that long yeah. is an amazing story in itself. What's been the key to that, Dwayne? I think the secret to our success is learning how to say I'm sorry and meaning it and learning how to forgive 
and forget and talk about the things that are good instead of harping on the things that we can pick each other apart. Mm -hmm. But I think we've matured. I think with age comes maturity and I think probably without a doubt we're having the best time of our life. We get along perfectly. We don't ever have any skirmishes anymore. No, none of us want to see it end. We love this. We love being the Oak Ridge Boys. We love going out there on that stage and carrying that history with us and the sound that the four of us make is really cool. And to be one of the is a very unique thing and I don't think any of us ever want to see it end. That's why we still keep plowing forward. Yeah. It's like the Oak Ridge Boys, I, I wrote about this once, are a big wheel and we're all a spoke in that wheel. And we all bring something different and unique to the table, personality-wise, talent-wise. And we keep the big wheel turning. That's what's important to us. We scream into the parking lot, even at our age, just like we did years ago. And we get on the bus, we see each other, and it's like, hey, man, let's go sing. Our whole thing is, let's go sing. When we come back, the Oak Ridge Boys talk about their relationship with the king and queen of country music on The Big Interview with Dan Rather. Welcome back to The Big Interview with Dan Rather. Today's guest is the Oak Ridge Boys. By the early to mid-1970s, the Oak Ridge Boys were favorites among Southern gospel fans, but they didn't break through to a much wider audience until 1977, thanks to a little help from what was then country's most popular act. You went through a period of when in the 1970s when things were not as good as they'd been before. What happened with Johnny Cash and June Cash? They were very nice to the Oak Ridge Boys. What was that about? Well, we all got to know Johnny and Jim. We lived in the same community there with them. And uh, so we would see them out about at the grocery store and different places anyway. And But we uh, got to know them. And uh, they had a recording studio out there at their place. And we played and sang. Uh, we recorded with them. So. Quite a bit. And, uh, and they asked us to go and sing some shows with them. Johnny took us up into the big suite, the old Elvis, well, the Elvis suite where the bullet holes are still in the ceiling up in the top <laughs> of the Hilton. And he gathered us in a circle one day and he gave us a pep talk. And he said, boys, there's magic here. I feel it. Being here and among you and listening to you sing is magical. People out there don't really know it yet, but I'm just saying, don't give up. What a great thing to hear from Johnny Cash. Don't give up. And that big voice of his, are you, it was like God talking to us. He <laughs> Tell said, him what happened to the award show thing. Well, okay, yeah, that, yeah. He said, don't give up. And we went out of that room uh, feeling like we're going to make it because Johnny Cash said so. Right. I mean, that is the feeling I had on us young, and we were young guys. Well, fast forward a few years, Dwayne just reminds me to tell you that in uh, 1978, Johnny was hosting the CMA Awards out of Nashville. Right. And we won Vocal Group of the Year. 
And when they announced the Oaks as vocal group of the year, you know, they had a podium on this side with the presenters right. and Johnny's over there hosting. Right. And instead of running up to get our award, we all ran to John. <laughs> and we just couldn't help it, man. We were, there were tears. Right. And we all hugged Johnny and he said, I told you. <laughs> so it's a great moment. <laughs> kind of stuff you can't even make up. Well, I want to talk about the roots in gospel. Your gospel group, and you start going on into country. It doesn't happen overnight, as I've gathered, but slowly you move into country. Now, you had your critics and distractors doing that thing. Uh, sell out. What's this gospel group doing in the country? Tell me about that period, Richard. It was a, an exciting period of time in our history. You know, we were, we were a, a top gospel group, winning all the, the awards in gospel music. And then we, we kind of went through a gray area there. We, we wanted to increase our outreach and reach more people with our music than just, you know, a marginal audience. And so we felt in order to do that, we had to branch out and do some other things. It was during that period of time that uh, we met Jim Halsey, who uh, became our manager. He's still our manager today. And Jim Halsey kind of led us and directed and guided, he guided our paths. He helped us sign our first recording contract with MCA Records, it was ABC Dot Records, which became MCA Records. He acquired the services of Ron Chancy to produce us. Ron produced most of the hits on the Oak Ridge Boys. In 1977, we had our first hit song called Y'all Come Back Saloon. And it started, you know, for from that point on for like the next 15 years, just about everything we released went to the top of the country music charts and we became a major act, you know, in, in country music. In 1981, we had Elvira. Uh, and we became a household name, you know, and, and so it was a very exciting period in our time, and it was a great thing to be a part of. There's no, no question about that. Yes, sir, I, I think, ahead, I was going to say, I think the gospel fans back then that were detractors probably didn't like what we were doing to begin with, because the Oak Ridge Boys were a cutting edge, man. They did gospel different than the other southern gospel quartets. Mm -hmm. They didn't dress in suits alike. They wore their hair a little longer. They were cool, very cool, and their music was cool. And it was at a time when Southern gospel, as, as an industry, was reverting back to the old four guys and a piano. <laughs> Funny, kind of like we do some now. But, but back then, the Oaks were moving forward, and a lot of people were not. And so we were even stuck in that gray area, even while we were a gospel group, right. because it was changing. And we just kept progressing and trying to progress. I think the gospel fans that love the Oak Ridge Boys, they stayed with us, man. They, 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 they loved what we were doing and continued to love what we were doing. I think the gospel fans that maybe would think, oh, they're too pop for gospel, and, and they didn't like us then, they probably didn't like us later anyway, until Elvira, then everybody liked us. Yeah. Well, you know, I was thinking that Elvira may be one of the best, best songs known. It's made, uh, it's made the top 100 of just about every list you've oh, ever read. Oh, I would read. think so. And I think Richard's lick, licks on that are probably the most widely known bass licks worldwide. I mean, we can yeah. go anywhere. People know those licks. We have to step away for a moment, but when we come back, Dan Rather finds the gospel in the Oak Ridge Boys on The Big Interview. 
let's lean into the gospel with the Oak Ridge Boys on The Big Interview with Dan Rather. Set aside anything that the Oak Ridge Boys have done. What's your all-time favorite gospel? It's difficult to say. You know, there's so many great gospel songs, and we've sung so many over the, the years. I would have to say, How Great Thou Art. Probably the best experience I've ever had in my lifetime of singing a gospel song on stage was being on stage with Elvis when he sang How Great Thou Art. It, there was a feeling there that's difficult to describe. And you almost felt like you could look up in the sky when he was singing and see Jesus come through the clouds, basically. <laughs> it had such feeling to it. So what I have to say, how great the art, especially Elvis's version. William Lee, what about yourself? Favorite gospel song? Well, uh, there's a song on this new album that, I, that David Cobb asked me to sing. And we've been singing that recently. It's called, uh, I'd Rather Have Jesus. And, uh, I think maybe it's George Beverly Shea write that song. He, he arranged it. It was really an older song, but I think he's listed as the arranger and did it on all the Billy Graham Crusades, and that was a huge song in the Crusades. Yeah. But uh, I enjoy singing that song too, and we just started singing it because it's on the new project that David Cobb brought to the table. I'd rather have Jesus than silver gold I'd rather be his than have riches untold Although the Oak Ridge Boys have been singing in perfect harmony for decades now, the band ousted William Lee Golden in 1987. Golden was temporarily replaced, but he never stopped singing. In the mid-90s, Golden rejoined the band and the Oaks have never been stronger. Than to be the king of the uh, We're not going to spend much time on this, but would you be able to give me, shed some light on why William was voted out of the group, what, from 1987 to 1995? Dwayne, you want to take that on? Why was he voted out of the group? Well, I think along the way, when we had so much popularity, there were people pulling at us <clears throat> from all different directions. And we couldn't always agree on everything. Sometimes having more money and popularity than you know what to do with does that to you. you bet. And we had disagreements that ultimately led to William Lee leaving for about nine years and singing with his boys. Mm -hmm. And we brought Steve Sanders, rest in peace, up from the band to sing that part. And we kept going. About nine years passed and we had the opportunity to hire a new baritone singer. 
a new member of the Oaks, and we all discussed it. And the first question we felt would we, we would be asked in the first news press conference would be, what about William Lee Golden? So we all went out individually with, and met with William Lee, and we found that he was interested in coming back to the Oak Ridge Boys. In fact, he told me, he said, if you want to try it, just pick out a couple of weekends, we'll go somewhere and see if it works. And if it does, great, and if it doesn't, we've tried, and we'll, we'll just mark it off. And that attitude was the attitude we were looking for. It was, we're going to do it together. William Lee, when you left the Oak Ridge Boys, which I gather it was not under the best of circumstances that you left, did you find yourself at a low point? Or did you say, well, this is what it is, and I'll go off and do my own thing? Well, it shocked me, and it was a low point. Uh, we didn't have a meeting on it, actually. They decided to do that on their own, but uh, it was their decision. So uh, I was forced to live with it, and I did. And, uh, but I knew that I certainly had the same passion for music and being in music that I'd always had. And uh, I had young sons that were talented, and, uh, and they were playing and singing too. And so uh, we just decided to kind of all get together and go out and play and sing music, and we did. And uh, I know when I was out there, I would sing songs that I sang with the Oak Ridge Boys, but. You know, people really want to see the real singers that sang the hit records. They want the original. And, uh, and we had, the majority of our hit records had been with all of the Oak Ridge Boys singing. That's what the people want to hear. They want to hear the voices that sang. It would not be the same if any guy here left, really. Slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. You know, the nearer your destination, the more you slip sliding away. Slip sliding away. Mm -hmm. Paul Simon sang it, but you backed him. Yeah, we met Paul at the Grammys in 77. And we were just, had just signed our new contract that Richard talked about. And we were just about to go in the studio with Ron Chancey and record the All Come Back Saloon, but we hadn't yet. And we met Paul Simon. We had won a couple. We'd won a Grammy that night. We presented a Grammy that night, and we sang on the Grammy Awards that night. And Paul came up to us then, telling us how much he loved what we do. And Dwayne said to Paul, he said, "Paul, would you write us a song, man? We really need a hit. We need a hit bad. <laughs> a Paul Simon song would be so cool." And to which Paul said to us, "Boys, when I write a song, I got to admit I'm a little selfish with it. I, I never give it to nobody. I have to cut it." He said, "But let me think on it." Paul called us back. Not that much further down the road, he called us back and said, guys, I've written a song. I'm hearing you on it. Now, these are the poor Oak Ridge boys here. We hadn't had a hit yet. We hadn't <laughs> seen that magic that happens in the studio with an Oaks and a Ron Chancey, an Oaks and a Dave Cobb more recently. And to watch Paul Simon and Phil Ramone work was incredible for us. What a learning experience. And he sat us around in a circle around him, played Slip Sliding Away, and figured out where we would sing and what we'd sing when we did sing. And final 
point of the story is, yes, that's us on slip sliding away. The biggest record of 77. Then y'all come back, Saloon starts hitting on country radio. So there for a while, you could hear us singing, y'all come back, Saloon on country, turn over to pop station and hear us oohing and on with Paul Simon. <laughs> it was a pretty cool time, it really was. And we'll always be grateful to Paul Simon. I can that. believe it's pretty cool at that. Yeah. I love the story, though, Dwayne, of you saying to him, hey, man, we need a hit. How about writing something? And he said, love you like a brother, but you know what? I sing my own songs. I don't give them away. By the way, it was my, my pleasure, it was a pleasure, to interview Jack White. And you covered the White Stripes hit Seven Nation Army, you know, a rock song. Tell me how that happened. Well, again, it reflects back to Dave Cobb. Uh, I don't know, how, how many years was it back when boys six, are back? Six years. Six, six years. And Dave Cobb said, man, I'm hearing some things on the Oak Ridge Boys. You guys ain't going to believe this. But I got this wild idea of you guys singing Seven Nation Army and Richard doing the Jack White guitar parts vocally. And we said, yeah, Dave, we think that's really crazy. Let's do it. So it all worked out that we had Dave produce an album on us called The Boys Are Back at the time, but it was Dave's idea to do Seven Nation Army. And what it did was the whole music industry went, oh, the Oak Ridge Boys are singing Seven Nation Army. What? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever been a really rock and roll hardcore fan? I have. And what's your favorite rock and roll song? Well, my favorite rock and roll song, I guess, would have to be Elvira. <laughs> <laughs> now, why am I not surprised? Yeah. Why am I not yeah. surprised? I love to hear Joe sing and Richard sing. <laughs> well, let me ask you about your beard. When did you start growing this beard? I uh, quit trimming it in 1980, so I haven't trimmed it since. But uh, it took about three years to get that length. Right. And it don't get any longer, it just gets whiter. <laughs> <laughs> well, Richard, did you ever think about growing a beard to match his? Well, you know, I tried for a little while. I had this little goatee thing happening, but uh, you know, I. <laughs> I think I'm going to hang it with a clean-shaven look. <laughs> <laughs> we ran into George and Barbara Bush once years ago when Richard was had, had that little goatee thing, and Barbara Bush said, Sir, you look like the devil. <laughs> I think that's when he shaved it. <laughs> oh, she figured you out pretty quickly, didn't she? <laughs> we have to take a break, but when we come back, Dan Rather finds out what the Oak Ridge Boys have in common with kazoos. Let's return to the big interview with Dan Rather and the world record holding Oak Ridge Boys. The Oak Ridge Boys set out to get themselves in the Guinness Book of World Records back in 1985 with kazoos. What's with the kazoos? <laughs> <laughs> Fill me in, guys. Okay. There was a point in time, and I forget how long ago it was now, but we, we all went, we sang the national anthem at a Vanderbilt 
football game in Nashville. And there was like 46,000 people in the stadium and they gave everybody in the stadium a kazoo so that the Oak Ridge boys could lead them in the kazoo playing of Elvira. And it's in the Guinness Book of World Records as the most people in a stadium playing a song on a kazoo ever. <laughs> and I, I don't know. I guess maybe it's been broken by now, but I haven't heard. <laughs> so the whole audience, I mean, it was the silliest sounding thing you've ever heard, sir. 46,000 people going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can kind of believe it. But now somebody has put these kazoos down by your feet and actually oh, no. given me one. Oh, look at this. <laughs> I'm so ignorant, I don't know which end of this thing you use. This I forget, it's been so long. This end. I can't, how do you get it? Yes, we're in the Country Music Hall of Fame, but we can't play a kazoo. By the way, while we're still rolling, I did not mention, and I, I really respect, that you've become uh, exceptionally well-known for doing the national anthem. Yes, sir. It's one of the things you do, the Oak Ridge Boys doing the national anthem. We've gone through a football season, uh, this last football season, where it wasn't the national anthem in and of itself. It was the reaction to the national anthem. The whole business of some people stood, some people kneeled, the controversy. Did that give you any difficulties, Richard? I don't know that it gave us any difficulties. I think individually we all had opinions about what was going on. I know I did myself. I did not like necessarily what was going on, but uh, you know, I'm a uh, I'm a grown man, and I think I can live with it. You know, I, and I just think people should stand for the national anthem. It's just my personal belief, and I wish that they all did. But uh, this is a free country, and they're welcome to do whatever they want to do. But I would prefer everyone would stand to the national anthem. William Lee, do you have any thoughts about that? Well. It's the land of the free, I guess, but I've always stood, I've always uh, felt like that it was an honorable thing, and I certainly uh, at least owe that to the veterans and the, for, for what the flag stands for, you know, the U.S. flag. Dwayne? Well, we were chosen a few years back, and since there's been nobody else to replace us, as the national anthem singers for the whole United States. I learned that we're supposed to stand, we're supposed to put our hand over our heart and face the flag, and sing the song with enthusiasm. It, to me, many people take it on as their chance at the spotlight and make it an entertainment thing. It's not really the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a participation thing and all the people are supposed to sing with you because it's our national anthem. To me, I just follow what the instructions were given when we became the official national anthem singers for the United States. I don't have an opinion on the other people. It's a free world. They can do whatever they want. Well, it's it doesn't, certainly a free country. It, it doesn't affect me. I just think they picked the wrong forum because when you pick the national anthem, it seems like you're disrespecting America, you're disrespecting the flag, no matter what your cause is. It was the wrong forum to do it in. My mother and father were in World War II. My father was at D-Day. They both rested in Arlington. My mother was a whack. And my mother loved the flag. My mother would cry when a flag went by. So it was just the wrong forum. My late mother, God rest her soul, 
She loved the Star Spangled Banner, but she always, she went to her grave believing that we'd better to have America the Beautiful <laughs> as our national anthem. What do you think, Richard? Well, we love the national anthem, and we love, you know, uh, the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. But I, from a musical standpoint, uh, it's probably a little easier to sing America the Beautiful. It's certainly a beautiful, beautiful song, and I personally would not have a problem if that was our national anthem. I really would not. But I love our, our national anthem the way it is. I wouldn't argue with that. <laughs> I wouldn't argue with that. Oh, say can you see by the dawn's early By my standards, all four of you are still pretty young, but you've accomplished so much already. I'm going to ask you about your own personal bucket list. In the years you have remaining, do you have anything on the bucket list, Richard? You say, I want to go to the high Himalayas or I want to scuba dive to 150 feet. What's on your bucket list? Oh, that's a difficult, that's a tough one. I, I you know, I, I love beaches and warm weather climates. And uh, you know, I've been to the Virgin Islands, you know, and, and, and the Caribbean, but I've never been to those Pacific Islands, you know, like Fiji and places like that, Bora Bora. I'd love to someday go there and just hang out and relax and enjoy myself. Not such a wild dream, I'd think. <laughs> yeah, okay. William Lee, what about what's on your bucket list? You know, uh, like Richard, I like to go to the islands sometime myself, but I like, you know, I like traveling Europe occasionally and. Uh, I started doing photography to take pictures of landscapes to paint. Mm -hmm. But then I realized I'm so slow and there's so many beautiful things that I've started upgrading my cameras and uh, going out and taking a lot of uh, photographs of beautiful landscapes, you know, national parks, state parks, and beach settings wherever we travel. Ladies and gentlemen, the next Ansel Adams is right here with us. <laughs> How about you, Dwayne? Got something on your bucket list? Well, in 1976, we were selected to go to the Soviet Union and on a cultural exchange program. That's back when the Iron Curtain was fully in place. And we worked uh, what was then Leningrad, Moscow, and we also went to the Baltic area. And we did uh, about three weeks of performances over there, all sold out. And when we would go to those areas, we would meet with those people and uh, have things in the daytime where we could get to know them and them know us. And I think probably one of the greatest honors we've ever had bestowed upon us is when we got back uh, we got a letter with all the signatures of all of the Senate saying that the Oak Ridge boys on this cultural exchange program did more for relationship with Russia and the Soviet Union that, that they had been able to accomplish, and they all signed it. That was a huge, unexpected honor that we got okay. from our government. And I've just, in the last few years, I've always thought it would be wonderful if we could do the same thing in China. 
my nature makes me a curious person. If we could do something with our music and go there uh, and accomplish something good like we did with the Soviet Union, uh, I would love to see what China looks like and see how music could help connect us with China on a little different level that has no baggage with it. We come there to just touch them with our singing. The old crazy boys in China. If we got that opportunity, I would jump at that. Well, I hope it comes sometime soon. Well, I do Joe, do you have a bucket list? I like to play first base for the Philadelphia Phillies, but boy, has that ship sailed. Well, I was going to say, <laughs> having said, Richards is not so wild a dream. This might be <laughs> too wild a dream. Yeah, I just, I just still can't hit the curveball. <laughs> but uh, for a bucket list, I got to tell you, I'm so happy with my life. God's been good to me. I'm almost 70 at this point. I'm the youngest guy in the Oak Ridge Boys singing with a group that is just unbelievable that I'm so honored to be a part of. My best friends in the world singing at my side every night. I've got a great wife. I've raised two good daughters, a couple of grandkids, and even, yes, a very small great-grandchild. Congratulations. And um, I live in a nice home. We have a nice little farm property up on the Tennessee-Kentucky line that... Uh, it's like heaven to me going out there and getting on a big tractor and cutting big fields when I'm home. And um, I don't know that I can improve on any of it. I even have some great cats. Well, as great as cats can be. That, you know, they, they don't love me like they do my wife, but I still love them. <laughs> but I'm very, very happy in my skin. And uh, I, I, I really can't think of anything uh, projected forward that, that I would want to do that's any better than what I've got right now. Guys, thank you very much. Thank it was you. just so good. I'd go on the rest of the afternoon. So engaged. You just made this terrific. You made it easy. Well, we couldn't wait to get here to be with you, to be no. honest. And by the easy. way, let the record show that William Lee took his hat off. He did. <laughs> <laughs> but he didn't take his sunglasses off, did he? <laughs> no, he didn't take his sunglasses off. <laughs> Guys, this has been terrific. Richard, thank oh, you thank so you. much. Thank, thank you, all. <laughs> William Lee. Yes, sir. Thank you, much. Such a pleasure. Thank you, my friend. An honor, sir. And that's it for this edition of The Big Interview. We're always eager to hear what you have to say, so please follow us on Facebook and Twitter or send your comments to viewer at access.tv. And that concludes another great episode of The Big Interview with Dan Rather. We hope you've enjoyed this journey into the life and music of our special guest as much as we have. Now remember, if you love what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We'd also appreciate it if you would leave us a review and maybe even share the show with a fellow music lover. And to stay up to date with all things related to the show, you can follow us on social media, where we share behind the scenes tidbits, previews, and so much more. Until next time, keep the music playing.